All right, time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. What a dramatic and powerful speech by Volodymyr Zelensky, the Ukraine president, this morning to that joint session of Congress. Mm -hmm. Really, really powerful. Also included a a very graphic video that was played for members of Congress showing the horrors of war. And once again, calling on Biden and the rest of the world for that no-fly zone. You, you don't see the U.S. Congress and any any uh, political body in the United States come together on any issue very often. And that was quite dramatic and emotional today, just as it was yesterday in the House of Commons in yep. Ottawa. Uh, bipartisanship on display, everyone back in Ukraine. But again, no sign that any NATO country is backing a uh, no-fly zone. Okay, let's have a listen to Zelensky here speaking to this joint session of Congress. Have a listen to this. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and citizens of the world. Okay, he also directly addressed Joe Biden and said, you're the leader of your mm-hmm. country. We want, I want you to be the leader of the world here and standing for peace and closing the skies over Ukraine. Yeah, and again, just he personalizes this in a very effective way. Just as yesterday he talked to uh, House of Commons, but he talked to Justin. Yeah. He talked to Justin. Today yeah. he talked to President Biden. Yeah. Uh, he bring, brings it home to the leaders of countries he's talking to right now in a very personal way. It's very effective. But again, I don't see any evidence that uh, NATO is going to budge off its issue of its position of, of not backing an no-fly zone because nuclear weapons are involved. The other thing, and he knows this, he's very, he's become very, very smart in the way he's using his communication strategies here around mm-hmm. uh, in the world. And one of the things I noticed was he never really mentioned NATO. You know, it, no. it, he didn't really mention that. I think that was strategic. Like he framed it more as this is not a NATO issue. It doesn't matter if you're in NATO or not. This is a moral issue. Look what's going on in my country. And then bringing it home, just as he did like yesterday in the House of Commons, like you said, and trying to put it in terms of that Americans can understand in graphic terms, like saying, this is like 9-11 that we're experiencing. This mm-hmm. is like this is like Pearl Harbor yeah. that we're seeing in our country. Please help us. Yeah, no, so. it's a very, very effective communication strategy. He's got uh, a ton of support throughout the world. He's impressed everyone. But his chief aim here right now, short term, is to get a no-fly zone. Yeah. And that's just not going to work for him. It's interesting, though, if we take a look at what happened in Ottawa yesterday in the House of Commons, where the Trudeau government continues to say, no, we don't want to escalate this and turn this into World War III, okay? But listen to what Candace Bergen had to say here now. This is the interim leader of the Conservative Party, so leader of the opposition in the House of Commons. Listen to her take on it yesterday. We must do more together with our allies to secure Ukraine's airspace. We need to protect... protect at a minimum the airspace over the humanitarian corridors so that Ukrainians can seek safe passage away from the war zones and to allow humanitarian relief to reach those areas under siege. Okay, so she's calling there for like a partial, a partial no-fly zone. Which I've never really heard of before, but it's interesting. I mean, again, that would run the risk of U.S. aircraft or NATO-patrolled patrolling aircraft clashing with Russian jets. Um, it but is it a calculated gamble? Yes. 
Um, but does it have risk? It has enormous risk. So I don't think uh, Candace Bergen is not a military strategist. But again, Joe Biden has made it clear the U.S., which is basically the leader of NATO, is not in favor of any no-fly zone modified or not. Yeah, it was surprising to hear her say that in some ways. And you heard the, the applause. The, the applause. She got. Yeah, no, that was from her her caucus. Okay, those conservative MPs who are applauding in there. So they seem to be fully behind her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you don't even hear Republican hawks in the United States calling for a no-fly zone. No, there's a, there's a few of them, but not many. Not many. Again, with nuclear weapons potentially on the table, everyone has to sheath their swords right now in terms of uh, that aggressive maneuver. Right. And Jen Psaki, who is the White House press secretary, making that clear again yesterday. This is not going to happen. This no-fly zone. Here's what she had to say. It is also true that the president has to look at decisions that are made through the prism of what is in our national security interests and global security interests. And he continues to believe that a no-fly zone uh, would be escalatory, could prompt a war with Russia. Right. So that's the U.S. White House press secretary there. They haven't changed their position uh, to absolutely no one's surprise. Uh, Again, with... This unprecedented situation of nuclear weapons being on the on the table here, that causes everyone to take a big step back. There is a glimmer of hope here. It was interesting to hear Zelensky say yesterday that Ukraine will not join, join NATO. NATO. Right. And there's reports today that the, this, these ceasefire talks are making some progress. Yeah. So that's encouraging. It really is. Uh, and if uh, hopefully that just keeps going in terms of making progress at the at the talking table. Especially when Zelensky comes out and says, okay, the reality is we won't be joining NATO, even though joining NATO is actually in the Ukraine constitution. Mm-hmm. So He's taken I his, think that was a concession. It was a concession. Yeah. Uh, and maybe Putin uses that as an excuse to start you know, wheeling it back rather than moving yeah. forward. Okay, we. Ho- I hope so. I hope so. I really hope so. Um, closer to home. So let's. We were just talking off air. We're getting close to contract time in the unionized civil service here in British Columbia. Yes, this is going to be. What ve- are you hearing? Yeah, very interesting. So almost four hundred thousand unionized workers contracts are up at the end of March. The BC Teachers Federation sat down yesterday for the first day of formal negotiations. Their contract is up at the end of the school year. What's different this time that has not been a factor for years is inflation. Inflation used to be, you know, half a percent, one percent, one and a half percent. Uh, and that was basically that plus a, another percent was the contract settlement. Now you got inflation at four or five percent. That sets the stage for unions asking for that type of compensation increase. Sure. So I did the math on a three year contract. Three percent is about five and a half billion dollars cost Whoa. to the provincial treasury because it's built into. Once you get a three percent, it's built into the base. Then you get another three percent in the second year, and, and then in the third year, four percent is seven and a half billion. Five percent wow. is almost ten billion dollars. Now the government in the budget has created an enormous elbow room, wiggle room, with a huge contingency uh, allowance, which is un- unallocated uh, spending in the neighborhood of $10 billion over three years, plus $3 billion in forecast allowance. That money is supposed to be used, much of it is earmarked for uh, wildfire uh, fighting costs, yeah. flood management costs, uh, weather uh, emergencies, the costs that come with unexpected events. Uh, but there's still an enormous amount of money there. So there's enough money there to fund a significant wage increase, but I don't think it's going to be 5%. I think the government has yet to release its negotiating mandate, 
which is what they're going to be offering all the unions. And it, last settlement was 2%, basically, right. uh, with some you know uh, shavings around the edge for, cer- for certain uh, unions. Now, I, I expect it's probably going to be about 3%, but I suspect already the GU, BCGU, one of the biggest unions, has taken a step back from negotiations. They don't like what the government's offering. And I think the prospect is there for significant job action in the public Ooh. sector in the coming months. Oh, boy, months. here we go. Could there be a strikes strikes in the public sector? Uh, wow. I, I think that, well, the prospect is, is for job action has never been greater than it is now. Uh, you have to go back, well, years to the 90s to see what the situation we're facing now because inflation is suddenly on the table. It's not been there for decades. I mean, if the government turns around and offers 3% when inflation is around 5% and potentially going even higher than mm-hmm. that, uh, I don't think the, u- the unions are going to get their back up. They're probably hearing from their members saying, like, cost of living is killing us here. Yep. Yeah, so, co- cost of living affordability is a huge issue with, with yeah, people. Yeah. Uh, you look, And this goes back to gas prices, which you and I have been talking about quite a bit. Suddenly that's in the household budget in a way it's never been for some time. And that's going to put the pressure, I think, on the union membership to wa- look for more than what the government's offering. As a result, I expect at least one strike somewhere in the public Whoa. sector. All right, it's Baldry's Beat. Let's go right to your phone calls here. We got Peter and Poco. Hi, Peter. Go ahead. Hi, good morning. Yeah, my uh, point being about uh, the no-fly zone, I mean, I agree with that. They should not be a no-fly zone because of the inherent dangers of starting Third World War. But I wish Trudeau would put a little more pressure on Biden to get his thumbs out and to actually um, get those MiGs into the hands of the Ukrainian Air Force. That would, uh, I suppose, a bit of a compromise. Um, Okay. Thank you, Peter. uh, Yeah, that would help things immensely, I think. Thanks, man. Well, once again, I'm not sure how Canada, at the end of the day, in a situation like this, puts any pressure on the United States. We are the mouse living next to the elephant. Um, But, you know, again, it's uh, escalating this conflict to various levels. Uh, runs a real risk, and that's why you're seeing NATO nations not really being aggressive in their response here. Yeah, and Zelensky also made that point too. He said, "Okay, if it's not if you're not going to do a no-fly zone, give us fighter jets. Mm-hmm. You know, give us these surface-to-air missiles, these SAM missiles, because we can shoot down these these Russian jets." Another thing to keep in mind, though, that a lot of the damage we're seeing, like the shelling of these cities, that's coming from the ground. This mm-hmm. is like ground. You know, artillery, artillery being yeah, fired into barrage. these cities. They're not being bombed from the air to a great degree. As, and as long as there's these reports that there's incremental progress being made at the negotiating table for a yeah. ceasefire, you're not going to see any escalation. Right. Let's go to Russ on... Oh, we've got breaking news here. Let's go to the newsroom right now. This is Gord McDonald. Mike, something for you and Keith to talk about. A federal government source says vaccinated travelers will no longer have to have a negative COVID-19 test to come to Canada. Big news for anyone who wants to head across the border, get cheap gas or food in American border cities. Coming out of Ottawa, news that the federal government is finally dropping the negative COVID test as a requirement to come to Canada. Much more on this story as it develops throughout the day. I'm Gord McDonald. Okay, thank you for that, Gord. That's why you keep it locked here to CKNW. As soon as we know, you will know. And that's something that the travel industry has been hoping for for weeks and months, Keith. 
Yeah, I reported this two nights ago that there was rumblings. I was picking up rumblings from the federal government and the provincial government that this was going to happen this week, that we're yeah. going to end the testing requirement uh, this week. And it looks like uh, that's exactly what's happening. And again, the travel rules are relaxing around the world. Ireland dropped all its uh, travel restrictions two days ago. Europe is dropping its travel restrictions for fully vaccinated travelers. If you're unvaccinated, though, you're still going to hit some delays here and testing requirements. So the travel rules are evolving, and they're evolving yeah. to opening up, easing restrictions, as we're seeing in terms of in BC, we're getting rid of the and, and Canada, no more mass mandate. Yeah. Vaccine cards are going to disappear. They're being phased out over time. That's happening around the world, and that's obviously has an impact on travel as well. Okay, that's a big announcement, a big deal for the travel industry and for anyone of thinking of doing a trip for outside sure. of Canada. Let's go back to the phone lines. Russ on the line in North Vancouver. Hi, Russ, go ahead. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, I'm just wondering why uh, why don't we put the the ball sort of speak into Putin's hands and send him in a bunch of buses with NATO, you know, written all on the top of the buses for a humanitarian uh, rescue and see if Putin bombs those. Okay, thank. Well, I I guess you know, you know there has been some. They have tried to set up these humanitarian corridors to allow people to escape, mm-hmm. and there's been lots of reports that Russia has not. Kept to their part of not the respected bargain. it. Yeah, uh, there's been there's been some shellings of yeah. uh, of corridors that were supposed to be agreed to escape routes for for refugees. I'm not sure exactly what the caller was suggesting there, though. Well, I guess he's saying that if you if you put a NATO sign on the top of a refugee bus, would Putin uh, dare to bomb? Like, I don't think that's going to make. Any I don't difference. think it'll make it much of a difference. James and White Rock. Hi, James. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Keith, I want to know your opinion. I want to know whether or not this union negotiation is going to fall in the lap of Kevin Falcon in the next election, because if the NDP and Mr. Horgan mess this up, it's going to cost them 300,000 voters in this province. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's obviously a political dimension to this, no question. Uh, and we'll see which way it goes. I mean, a protracted labor dispute in the public sector... The, affects public services. So, yeah, uh, this will go sideways on the Horgan government big time. But I don't think, uh, and, but I also don't think they're going to give away the store here in terms of a huge increase because it's, uh, but inflation, again, the fact that inflation is suddenly an issue, uh, which it hasn't been for decades, changes everything. And that's why we're in a whole new world here when it comes to labor negotiations. Well, the next election in BC is not for another two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. So this will be a lot of time. Morgan's baby here. Going no, it's interesting. The GU is looking for a two-year contract instead of three. Mm. And I don't think the NDP government wants to sign a two-year contract. They want the, this con- the next contract to expire after the after, next election. Okay. So they want a three-year deal. Yes. That's always been deal. what governments are looking for. Yeah. John on the North Shore. Hi, John. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I just wanted to, on the news feeds this morning were a couple of interesting things. So the uh, Ukrainian army has killed the top four generals on the ground, which they've been on the front line fighting with the, or directing with the uh, Russian army. That was an interesting thing. The second thing was the um, the uh, government-run uh, Ukra- um, Russian television people are walking off the job mm-hmm. in like huge numbers of them. Thank you, thank you, John. I hate, hate, to cut, hate to cut you off. we got 30 seconds. Yeah, Russia has suffered significant uh, human casualties in this conflict, generals and soldiers and civilians. 
but it's also interesting. He saw that that video footage of that young uh, female editor at a, at a Russian TV station with her sign saying "Stop the War." Very brave. She was interrogated for 14 hours. She's still she's free though, and as a result, you're seeing other journalists walk away from state-owned media in the in Russia.